0: chapter 5 we read about the next uh, king that comes after Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Many years later King Belshazzar uh, gave a great feast uh, for a thousand of his nobles and he drank wine with them and while Belshazzar was drinking the wine he gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver cups ...that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God, in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, picture this, by the way. This rager, this party. What happens? They saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote. And his face turned pale with fright, his knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. And so, Father, as we approach this majestic chapter, this majestic text, Lord, um, not only maybe in our own lives, this true... Um, Coming to a realization that there is someone more powerful than us. That this literally shocking, sobering moment in the midst of this massive party. Where literally everyone sees uh, the writing on the wall. That phrase that is used throughout literature that many people just say not knowing actually where it even comes from your scriptures maybe there's someone here that doesn't know you yet i don't know but lord um, help us all to examine ourselves to see if we need to um, change our lives as belshazzar has to come to that realization even though he ultimately rejects the truth lord help us to have a different outcome Lord, I thank you so much for the faithful faithful people like Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Misael who stood up for the truth during this time, even in the the midst of the most powerful uh, nation, the one that they're having literally in captivity to, help us to stand up for the truth as well. So Father, I, I thank you for these, my friends, my family gathered here tonight. I thank you so much for the leadership of this church, our pastors, Lord. Pastor Mike Cosper and Pastor Jason, Pastor Mike Atkinson, Pastor Mike Ostheimer, Lord, I ask that you give them a clear vision for our church, Lord. That you would help them and give them wisdom in the many ways that they serve throughout this church, Lord. Lord, I ask you bless these, my friends, that the power of your word would come through clearly tonight. That you would speak to each and every single heart in this room, those that are watching online. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are now introduced to a new king. And if you were here at the beginning of uh, the introduction of of Daniel, the book of Daniel, we learned that uh, he serves under two different kingdoms, three different kings. Uh, The first four chapters were dedicated to the first of those kings, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most powerful uh, king in the Babylonian empire at this time. He's the one that literally conquered uh, the world, set Babylon on the path of being uh, the most powerful uh, nation. Uh, We are now at the end of uh, the kingdom of Babylon. Babylon is going to fall at the end of this chapter. At the end of the chapter, the Medes and the Persians are going to walk right through the front door and capture the Babylonian Empire. They will change hands to a new empire called the Medes and the Persians. You may remember that from your history studies, whether it's in junior high or high school, whatever it was. It's going to be the next of the kingdoms that Daniel is going to serve under a guy by the name of Darius. Tonight, we see this king by the name of Belshazzar or Belshazzar. And if you remember, Daniel had his name changed at the very beginning of his captivity when he was in that college of the Babylonian, learning the culture, learning the language, learning the literature, learning all the knowledge of uh, the Babylonians, coming out as the, you know, valedictorian of the class. Remember, he himself, his name was changed. And what was his name changed to? Very similar, by the way, to Belshazzar. But instead, there's a, exactly a T-E in the middle, a belt And both of them have uh, very similar meanings. Uh, Belshazzar means uh, Bel protect the king. And and Belshazzar is the the third person of that where it means that Daniel is protecting the king. Bel protecting through uh, Belshazzar uh, the king. Can you imagine this huge party? A thousand people and a palace big enough to hold them. Can you imagine the size of that building? The palace being able to hold a thousand uh, uh, people. Uh, This massive party that we see here in the Babylonian uh, palace. What are they doing in this party? And you can see it there in verse 2. They're drinking wine. They're getting uh, drunk. All these things that they're doing in this party. Uh, But what are they drinking out of? I don't know if you've ever been to a party that is this You know, high class. But what kind of cups are they drinking out of? These aren't the red cups that are plastic. What kind of cups are these? Gold and silver cups. Wow. And where did these gold and silver cups come from, by the way? The temple in Jerusalem. They came from Daniel's homeland from the temple that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. If you were here when we were going through the book of Jeremiah and the book of Ezekiel, we actually got to see the downfall of Jerusalem, the walls being torn down. But even more critical was the temple being destroyed, that, that temple that was built by King Solomon. And Nebuchadnezzar walks into Jerusalem and literally raises that temple to the foundations. But before he did that, he took away all the valuable items in it, of course. He literally stripped... Uh, The gold off the doors. He cut apart the big huge bronze uh, brazier and and laver. And the various pillars that were outside. They carted all those things away. And then in 2 Kings chapter 24. We actually read the historical account of what Nebuchadnezzar did. 2 Kings chapter 24 verses 12-14. through It says. Then Jehoiakim who was the last king of, of Judah. The king of Jerusalem at this time. His mother, his servants, his princes and his officers went out to the king of Babylon. This is Nebuchadnezzar. And the king of Babylon in the eighth year of his reign took him prisoner. Remember what he did to King Jehoiakim, right? What was the last thing that King Jehoiakim saw before he was blinded? His eyes plucked from his head or pierced from his head. His two sons killed before his eyes. The last of the lineage of Jehoiakim. Killed before him. And then his eyes are put out. And he's taken away prisoner in Babylon for the rest of his life. But even worse, verse 13. And again, this is worse than the blinding of King Jehoiakim. What did they do with all those holy implements? Uh, These were all the, the amazing Holy implements that, that King Solomon had put into uh, the temple. This temple that was beautiful, by the way. Absolutely stunning. Gold throughout. Can you imagine, as you would enter into uh, the temple, the, the, the beautiful gold-plated doors? And then as you would walk into this amazing lampstand, again, you know, just absolutely breathtaking, uh, the the table of showbread that was there. And then, you know, if you were one of the priests one time a year, the high priest that was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, you got to see the Ark of the Covenant, which was again, by the way, gold-plated look at what they carried away verse 13 and he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which King Solomon of Israel had made in the temple of the Lord as the Lord had said also he carried into captivity all Jerusalem all the captives and all the mighty men of valor 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths none remained except the poorest people of the land and if you were here during the time of when we were going through the book of jeremiah you remember that jeremiah was part of that poor group these were the ones that were the you know not smart not handsome not uh you know able to have a talent or anything like that the poorest of the land was left in uh jerusalem but people like daniel hananiah azariah and misael they were taken into captivity so what are they drinking from at this party All these gold and silver cups that had been taken from the temple. Taken from King Solomon's house. uh, Taken from Jerusalem. And now they're using them in this debauchery. Verse 3. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple. The house of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles his wives his concubines drank from them by the way this is the second time we've read that he has and he's probably bragging about this wives plural concubines plural right part of this a thousand people that are there he has this you know harem right his entourage of people that you know are trying to get on his good side While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Was this what the gold implements, the gold uh, uh, cups, all the implements that were in the temple, is this what they were supposed to be used for? No, they were meant to be holy. They they were meant to be a part of the worship ceremony. They were meant to be a part of worshiping uh, the Lord. It's similar to what we do in communion. By the way, next week we get to have communion. It'll be the first uh, Wednesday of the month. And I encourage you, if you can, please come. But it's similar to what we do in communion, right? We, we know it's just a, a wafer and some juice and a plastic cup. But there's something special, sacred about it. Where we commune with. The God of the universe, where we commune with Jesus Christ, where we remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross until He comes again, and how are they using the gold and silver uh, cups in a profane way? It's just like, as 1 Corinthians says, when we come to the, you know, the table of communion and profane it, we just come and treat it like any other meal or any other uh, day. Now imagine this, and by the way, this is before technology, this is before overheads, this is before this kind of thing, right? This is before, you know, depending upon how old you are, you know, the overhead that your teacher used to write on, right? Right? This was before all that technology. Can you imagine on the plaster wall, as these drunk people are drinking from these gold and silver cups, a hand starts writing on the wall. And they're sober quick. Shocked, literally not not only belshazzar but but his wives his concubines these these thousand people that are in this uh, huge debauchery this party and they see the writing on the wall <laughs> what does belshazzar look like and by the way this is the second most powerful man on the planet at this time by the way we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit yes i know we'll talk about that in a little bit But at at this time, he's the second most powerful man on the planet, sobering up from this debauchery and party. What does he look like? Verse 6. His face turned pale with fright, his knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. Have you ever been that scared before? I don't know what your conversion experience was like. I don't know how you came to the Lord. If it was at your, you know, just uh, someone telling you about or maybe years and years of someone praying for you. Or maybe at your lowest point and God had to bring you to your knees. But can you imagine the writing on the wall? Where Belshazzar is literally scared to death. Death. Understanding that there's someone more powerful than him, by the way. And all of us have to come to that point. That there is someone more powerful than you. Did you know that? There's someone more powerful than all of us. By the way, he takes time to write to us too. In fact, what did he give us? The Bible. Thank God. Better than four words like he does to uh, Belshazzar. Uh, Verse 7, the king shouted for the enchanters, the astrologers, the fortune tellers to be brought before him. By the way, this is exactly what happened twice to Nebuchadnezzar. And remember who it was that was always called last? Daniel. Remember? Yeah, the first time was the, you know, dream that he couldn't remember what the dream was. Right? And he asked all of his astrologers and wise men and fortune tellers and, and all these enchanters and all these people, all you have to do is tell me my dream and then the interpretation and you can live. And who was, of course, that interpreted the dream and told the dream as well? Being able to see behind the eyelids of Nebuchadnezzar. It was Daniel, Remember? And then the other dream that he had, of course, he he actually remembered that dream. And and this dream, he just didn't know what it meant. Remember, again, Daniel told him the meaning of the dream. But this time, it was because, you know, he wished it would be on his worst enemy. That was in chapter 4, remember? where he saw literally Nebuchadnezzar falling on his all fours and having to eat grass for seven years. And then at the end of that, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, for the first time in his life, not acknowledging the God of Daniel, not acknowledging the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but understanding that this God is his God as well. A transforming of his life, realizing that God truly is Uh, supreme, that God truly is a sovereign. Now we come to another ruler. And of course, the same thing. What does he do? The enchanters, the astrologers, the fortune tellers. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor. We'll have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will become the, and this is very important by the way, third highest ruler of the kingdom of Babylon. Can you imagine that? All you got to do is tell me what those four words say. And by the way, we, we haven't heard the pronunciation or seen the words yet. You probably have if you read ahead. I know all of you have read ahead, you know. That that was your homework, by the way. You guys know that, right? But those four words that are on the wall, all you got to do is read those four words, just pronounce them, interpret them for me, and you're going to be the third highest, most powerful person in the entire kingdom of Babylon. Can you imagine that? And none of those thousand people that are there, none of his wise men are able to interpret it. Verse 8, but when all the king's wise men had come in and none of them could read the writing or tell him what it meant. So the king grew even more alarmed. How can you get even more alarmed? Shaking knees, knees giving way, pale face by the way. This becomes even more dire. Even more important that he find the meaning of uh, these words. Can you imagine that? His face turned pale. His nobles too were shaken. Verse 10. But when the king mother heard what was happening... She hurried to the banquet hall. She said to Belshazzar, long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened. Do you know who this is? This is his uh, mother. Okay, now this is important to understand. Okay, we don't have a monarchy in our country, so it's kind of foreign to us, you know. But, you know, a monarchy similar to, you know, Britain. uh, You know, there's a, a queen mother, right? Not now, but, you know... In past times, what was the queen mother? She was the one who was the mother to the son or the prince who would become king, right? Can you imagine this? Your mother, who has lived longer than you, telling you about this guy who had wisdom during the time of your grandfather. During the time, previous times about this guy, by the way, who has a very similar name to you, Belshazzar. Can you imagine that? Do you know why Belshazzar was called Belshazzar? Wow. What an impact he had on Nebuchadnezzar's life, by the way. To, to have his, you know, and we'll find this out and. I'm going a little bit ahead, but to find out that his grandson's going to be named a very similar name to Belshazzar Daniel's name. And Belshazzar, a very similar translation of the name, who is frightened, literally forgetting about the old man, the old wise man, the history of his own country. Going to all these young guys and none of them can transcribe or translate the writing on the wall. Verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. Your predecessor, the king, your predecessor, king and Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune-tellers of Babylon. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. Wow, is that confidence? By the way, she was there when it happened previously. Can you imagine this where literally Daniel... The person who had interpreted multiple dreams in the past is now put on a shelf. Forgotten. No no longer in the place of power that he was in previously. Remember how close he was with Nebuchadnezzar last week in Daniel chapter 4. Where he literally is crying. Longing. To not have the results of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had come to fruition. Because he loved his king. He didn't want to have him go through the problems that he knew he would go through. And now this new king that's on the throne doesn't even know Daniel. Doesn't even know who he is. But the queen mother does. Does. She reminds her son, uh, verse 13. So Daniel was brought in before the king. The king asked him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah by my predecessors, king of Nebuchadnezzar? By the way, there's these gold cups that he had taken from that temple. Can you see that? How, how preposterous that is? How hypocritical that is? By the way, we've been drinking out of the cups from your temple uh, and getting drunk off of the wine." The party that we've been having has been a mockery of your God, and I need your help. Can you imagine that? Daniel, of course, he's he's smart. He he knows. He could have not warned them. He could have not interpreted it. And you deserve it. You deserve what's going to happen to you. But what does he do instead? And, And you know, it's all in the. Uh, The the amazing way that God works, not only in history, but also in in a civilization as well. He has compassion upon uh, Belshazzar. I've heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you and that you are filled with inside understanding and wisdom. My wise men and enchanters have tried to read the words on the wall and tell me their meaning, but they cannot do it. I am told that you can give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read these words and tell me their meaning, you will be clothed in purple robes of royal honor, and you will have a gold chain placed around your neck. You'll become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. By the way, this is nothing. This is nothing compared to what he had before. Remember under Nebuchadnezzar, he was the most closest person to Nebuchadnezzar at that time. He was second. He was second. He had that authority and that power to literally speak for the king. This isn't even close to that. He's only going to be third. Can you imagine what Daniel is thinking? By the way, this is why, uh, you know, in in history and also biblical critical uh, thinking, a lot of people challenge this chapter. A lot of people criticize this chapter. A lot of people say this chapter can't be true because of uh, the king that is in, in line at this time, Belshazzar. Many people say, well, there was no such king as Belshazzar in Babylon. Uh, many people critically uh, describe this chapter as this proves that the Bible is not true. Remember when we were in Ezekiel chapter 28 and there was a, the, the nation of Tyre, right? The, the island of Tyre. And, and people point to that chapter as well and say, that was not true. That, that can't be. And we, we went into a little bit of the, the history of the island. I'm going to read to you what people say about this. And, and by the way, I, I have the, this part that I'm going to read to you printed out in the back. I didn't want you to have it now because you would be distracted. I know you, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to read it to you. And if you'd like a printed copy of it, you don't have to take notes or anything. You don't have to write like really fast or anything like that. Uh, there's printed copies in the back uh, by David in the back of the table back there. <clears throat> in Daniel chapter five, a Babylonian king by the name of Belshazzar marks, mocks God by throwing a party with articles taken from the Jewish temple. As a result, God passes judgment on Belshazzar by taking away his kingdom and dividing it between the Medes and the Persians. Bible critics love to use this story to point out apparent historical errors in the text, trying to disprove the accuracy of the Bible. The first thing they say is that the last king to rule the Persian or the empire of Babylon before being destroyed by the Medes and the Persians was a man by the name of Nabonidus, not Belshazzar. Secondly, Belshazzar was never a king of Babylon. And third, the Bible refers to Nebuchadnezzar as the father of Belshazzar, which he wasn't. But these statements made by Bible critics are full of half-truths. First of all, Belshazzar's name is found in history. And by the way, uh, there is historical proof for this. There's tablets that have this name on it. and, And the printout will have exactly where you can find these. And he just happens to be the son of King Nabonidus. Amazing. The last king of Babylon, by the way making him a crown prince in the kingdom of Babylon. Although some translations of the Bible state that Nebuchadnezzar was his father, the Hebrew word for father can also be interpreted into English as meaning grandfather or ancestor. And in fact, Belshazzar was a bloodline descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. The same goes for the fact that the Bible calls Belshazzar a king, even though historical records do not mention he was a king. The Hebrew word for king can also be interpreted as governor or royal prince, and history records that he was both. Nebuchadnezzar, who ruled the empire of Babylon from 555-538 BC, mentions his firstborn son, Belshazzar, on an inscription found in the city of Ur in 1853. By the way, this can be found in the British Museum. The inscription reads, may it be that I, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, never fail in my firstborn Belshazzar, worship you with all his heart. Another piece of evidence for Belshazzar's reign in the city of Babylon comes from an inscription where he is referred to as the son of Nabonidus and is given authority to rule. Yet even another piece of evidence comes from a tablet dating back to the seventh year of the reign of Nabonidus where he is mentioned in the same light as his father and what is interesting to note is that on this oath, the men swore by both Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, meaning they, they were co rulers at this time. While on oaths dating back to other times, generally only king is mentioned, this seems to indicate that Belshazzar was a co reigning authority. That was second only to his father throughout the empire. Why doesn't he make Daniel the second? Because he is the second. And that would make Daniel the third. His dad's the first. He's the second. Daniel's the third. Is the Bible true? Absolutely amazing, by the way. And and I'll let you guys read the rest of this. I know we're... I mean, this, we, we always focus on the scriptures, but this is just an aside. People critically uh, condemn the Bible because of supposed inaccuracies. But is the Bible always true? And, and by the way, if, you know, most of the time we, we do, we focus on the New Testament as Christians. You know, uh, the, the good news of the gospel, thank God for the New Testament. But what does the Old Testament do? It supports everything in the New Testament. Every single prophecy in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. How do I know the prophecies? I read the Old Testament. Right? And the Old Testament, by the way, as we'll see, is just full of this history, full of these amazing uh, uh, stories of how God worked in the lives of uh, the nation of Israel, and specifically through Daniel, specifically putting him in a place of authority within uh, the most powerful nation at the time, uh, Babylon. And by the way, every single one of the prophets God purposely put in those Uh, positions Ezekiel on the river Kibar in uh, Babylon with the refugees there. Jeremiah, an eyewitness behind the wall, seeing the downfall of the uh, uh, walls of Jerusalem and the temple as well. What does Daniel say in chapter 17? By the way, this is in reference to, I used to have a higher role than this. I I used to have a more authority than what you're offering. I I had more wealth than what you're offering. What does he say in verse 17? Daniel answered to the king, keep your gifts. Give them to someone else. But I will tell you what the writing means. I mean, what what you're offering me is a joke compared to what I used to have. I, I used to be the most personal person to Nebuchadnezzar. I saw him eating grass. I saw his his downfall and then his reconciliation to God. How God literally transformed his life and gave him back all of his wealth and then some. And I was there. Your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. I was there. I saw it. He made him so great that people of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill and spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor and disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. This is a summary of chapter 4, by the way. The most pivotal chapter in the book of Daniel, the, the, the you know, the, the chapter in, in Daniel that literally just, you know, if you really understand it, rips your heart out because of Daniel's love for his king. Maybe even you can put yourself in that story. Verse 21, he was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal. He lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow. He was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned that the most high God rules over the kingdoms of the world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. Who was the one that put Nebuchadnezzar in his place? God. Thank God he did. By the way, he still does that today. Did you know that? Is God the same yesterday, today, and forever? You are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself. You've forgotten the stories. You've forgotten your history. By the way, is the Bible more relevant than the latest blog or the latest newspaper? Is the Bible more relevant than the current events of today? Oh, yes. Is this still true for today, by the way? We've forgotten our history. Forgotten the Bible. Forgotten what God has done in the past. Can God still do the same even today? For you have proudly done defied the ki- the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and you concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising your gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. They are just inanimate objects that sit on a shelf do nothing. And you're worshiping them. With the gold and silver cups from the living God's temple. By the way. And by the way the proof is on the wall. You saw the finger. That was able to write. And none of your gods can do that. None of your gods can speak or see or you know. Hear or touch or anything like that. By the way, this this comes from previous prophets. By the way, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Isaiah. I mean, the way idols are described is just absolutely hilarious at times. By the way, do we still have idols that should sit on shelves in our houses, or that we hold in our hands? What does it say there? You have not honored the God who gives you breath of life and controls your destiny. How powerful is God? Does God still do the same today? Every single breath that we have, where does it come from? So God has sent this right hand to write this message. And again, I love the book of Daniel because every single one of the dreams, every single one of the prophecies, every single one is explained to us in plain English. Thank God. Or in this case, uh, you know, plain Aramaic. Remember, this is written in Aramaic, not Hebrew. This is the language of the Babylonians at this time. By the way, that's not why they're able to read it. Because the writing on the wall is even in a different font than they can read. It's just like us. We, we have a, you know, a, a font, right? You know, English font, right? Or a Roman font, right? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. We recognize the letters. And, 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 you know, maybe it's Spanish or maybe it's French or Italian or some other language. And it, it uses similar letters, right? And we maybe be able to pr- uh, try to pronounce it, right? At least we can, you know, make out uh, what we would think it would sound like, right? Because it has a similar Roman font, right? And now go to somewhere like Nepal, or India, or Russia, where there's a completely different font, can you even begin to pronounce those letters? No. Arabic, Hebrew. Why? Why can't we even begin to pronounce those letters because it's in a completely different font? Now, can you imagine not being able to understand the writing on the wall, not even being able to pronounce it because it's in a different font than you read? And who can read that font, by the way? Daniel can. Why? Because he grew up in or was a baby or a young boy or a young man in uh, Israel. He knew how to read Hebrew, the the language that is written in a different font on uh, the wall. And by the way, this is permanent. This isn't some sort of, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, light that shines on the wall and, you know, it somehow stays there. And if the light is gone, it disappears. No, this is something permanently inscribed in the plaster on the wall. By the hand that writes on the wall. Why do I know that? Because Daniel's able to read it. It doesn't disappear. What does it say? Verse 25. This is the message that is written. Parson. This is what these words mean. By the way. Uh, Again, in Hebrew, whenever something is repeated, it's to the comparative or or to a higher class. And remember, if it's to the the third power or repeated three times, it's to the superlative, okay? Uh, In our language, we use ER and EST. We don't repeat words, right? Uh, I'm faster than you, I'm the fastest. I'm slower than you, I'm the slowest. I'm badder than you, I'm the baddest. I'm gooder than you, I'm the goodest, right? We, we, you know, yeah, right. English is weird, okay? You understand that what is happening here, there, there's, there's a repeating of the word mene. And as Daniel's going to explain it, and we'll see this, it, it literally means that it's coming very, very, very quickly. Mene means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Can you imagine the writing on the wall that literally declares the end of your days? And it's coming quickly. It's repeated twice. In fact, we'll find out it happens that night. That very night. As they've been partying with the gold and silver cups from the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 27, tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. As proof is literally there right before Daniel, the the, uh, spillage of all that wine that has fallen out, not only of Belshazzar's cup, but everybody else's cup, whose knees are shaking. The stains on the floor are right before you. The sin that you have been committing condemns you now. You have been weighed. Verse 28 means divided. Your king has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. By the way, this is going to happen. Historical proof proves this over and over and over again. The Medes and the Persians are the ones that will walk right in the door. Literally taking over Babylon that very night with this coup that comes to the Babylonian Empire. Remember, the Babylonian Empire is made up of a whole bunch of different nations. Babylonian Empire didn't uh, uh, scatter their enemies or kill all their enemies. They actually assimilated uh, their enemies into their empire, and this is exactly what's going to happen. A coup's going to take place. Babylon's going to be kicked out of authority, including Nebuchadnezzar, the father of Belshazzar, and Belshazzar as well. Verse 29, Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes, a gold chain was hung around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. Very next verse. Do you understand why Daniel is laughing at this authority? Because there's going to be a new king the very following day. By the way, the next chapter is, you know, one of the most popular stories in, you know, all of Daniel. Uh, Probably you've heard it many, many times. Daniel and the lions in one of the most popular stories in the whole Bible, by the way. Again, by another king. Darius. Chapter 30, or verse 31, exactly tells us that. And again, historical proof proves this. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of... 62. Can you imagine that? Now, of course, this is a new empire. This is a, a new kingdom. Remember, going all the way back to chapter 2, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the gold head. This is going to be the next kingdom, the silver body. It's going to be this kingdom made up of laws. Where, where literally the king himself has no authority to overcome a law that is put in place. It's going to be a a kingdom of laws. We're going to see that in just a little bit as we we start chapter uh, 6 here. I have a a couple of minutes. I want to just kind of read the first couple of verses. And and again, this is your assignment. Read the next chapter this coming week, okay? We'll probably be able to get to chapter 7 next week as well. just, Just read a chapter a day. And read it with a you know uh, an eye of of someone who's you're, you're, you're in Daniel's shoes. Maybe at your work you're in Daniel's shoes. Maybe at your uh, family you're in Daniel's shoes. Maybe with your friends, you're in Daniel's shoes where where there is a, a law, That is against what you do with your God. Where where there is a a law. And by the way we're really getting close. Even in our own country. Thank God that we still have many many freedoms. But it's coming close. Where people will be tattletelling on you. If you even pray. Do you have the. Not only the courage. The boldness to be able to pray in public. You see, this is what Daniel's going to do. Chapter 6, verse 1 Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high office. To rule over each and every single province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. And by the way, just like when we were in chapter 3, Daniel wasn't in that chapter. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in that chapter. Where were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They weren't in the capital city. They were in the provinces, remember. Remember. Why aren't Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in the lion's den? Why aren't they tattletaled on? Why? Because they're in the provinces, right? We'll see that in a little bit, by the way. At this time, Daniel is one of three people who are in charge of these 120 provinces. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the administrators and high officers because of Daniel's great ability. The king made plans to place him over the entire kingdom. Again, this is why Belshazzar's, excuse me, Belshazzar's, you know, giving him a third or putting him in uh, third place. It was laughable. Because who is now in charge of all the Medes and the Persians' empire? Daniel is, right? The king trusts Daniel so much to run the empire. Yes, Darius is the king. Yes, Darius has full authority. But who is actually running the kingdom? Daniel is. He is ruling or he is uh, running uh, the kingdom. He is in charge of making sure the empire runs smoothly. But of course, as with any job, what happens when you are put into a place of authority and people don't like it? Yeah. Or not even at a job. Maybe, you know, you get something that other people in your family don't get, and people get. Or you're put in a responsible position in some sort of organization, i.e. a church maybe even. Or in your, you know, friendships with other people. You get something that they don't have. Or even in your neighborhood. You've heard it before. You know, those Joneses down the street, right? Right? keeping up with the verse six excuse me verse uh four there and then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way that daniel was handling the governmental affairs but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn by the way that's the the greatest testimony you can have as a christian Where people see your life and they can't find anything to criticize about you because you're actually obeying the Lord, right? Duh, of course. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to be Christ followers, right? They can't find anything to criticize or condemn Daniel about. He was faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion, and this is where they connive with Darius. By the way, we'll, we'll pick this up next week. And I'll let, you know, it's a perfect, you know, um, cliffhanger for next week. I'm sure all of you guys already know the end, the end of the story. Uh, but, but the understanding is the same thing happens to us, right? Whether it's in our society. Wh- whether it's in our state. We see it all the time, unfortunately. Where do they attack us as Christians? Where do they attack us? In our religion, right? This is where people know if they can, you know, somehow disprove the Bible or make you go against the Bible. And of course, you know, people constantly attack Whether it's in, you know, we see this all the time, whether it's in our views, our understanding not only of the sanctity of life, but also human sexuality as well, the defining uh, definitions of the Bible that we hold strong to, where we literally have to define it differently than what the state defines it as. Where it is, you know, literally, even in our own church, where we have to define what marriage is or where life starts, it's the same thing. Even at this time, will you pray in an open window for all to see? That's what Daniel's going to do. Knowing the consequences, knowing the consequences of what he's doing. Not not praying and, you know, some, you know, and thank God we can, you know, pray in a closet and God calls us to do that. But, but even at your work, can you pray at your work? Is that a freedom that we still have? Thank God we do. Or in your school, or in your family, which, by the way, is one of the most, some of the most hardest places to pray. Even more, harder than in a, you know, work or school, in your own family where you actually acknowledge who God is and his sovereign power and prove it by talking to him. So next week we'll pick this up. Put, put yourself in Daniel's position here, okay? When you read it, put yourself in Daniel's shoes, okay? Uh, understand what he has to go through. See if, if the Lord is, is challenging you in this area, as he does even me, where what will you do when, when everybody else goes the other way, will you still pray in an open window for all to see? So Father, tonight I thank you for this amazing, challenging uh, scriptures, Lord. This Daniel that so many times we, you know, and thank God, you know, it, it, it truly is a, a privilege to be able to teach the youth, teach the... The, the kids, the, these amazing stories, how, how, how you are still the same yesterday, today, forever. You protected Daniel. You can still protect us today. But us as adults, us as, as, as more mature people, to be able to understand the, the way that it truly has an impact on our lives when we put you first. In a society that is uh, foreign to us. Where this world is not our home. We are, we are just aliens. We, we are just um, living life in this world. Understanding that our home is not here. Our home is eternal. Uh, with you forever and ever in heaven. But as we live here on the earth. There's responsibilities that we have. And that's to make your name known. Boldly. Courageously. So, Lord, I, I thank you for these, my friends and my family, the challenges that they face. Lord, I ask that you give uh, them courage. I, got, I ask that you would give them wisdom. To know how to go about in a, in a way like Daniel does with wisdom. Wisdom. Not, not just brashly or, or you know, um, you know, shouting his mouth off, but, but with wisdom, proving uh, that God is sovereign, going against the laws of the land, and yet still at the same time being submissive to His King. Thank God that you give us wisdom to be able to do that. So, Lord, I ask that you would help us to focus upon you this week. Those challenges that come up, those problems that come up, those trials that come up, that we would lay those things before you. Ask you for wisdom, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you give it to us. So, Lord, I thank you so much. My friends, my family, I ask you bless them tonight. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. God bless.